Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler Communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. We are back. On the MD's Fantasy Football Show, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, all set to you by Billy Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Join you and Chris Dahauer back from our one-week vacation hiatus. And that's it. We're not taking another break until the end of football season from here on out. Chris, how you doing today? I'm doing okay. The better question is, how are you doing visiting Hawaii for your vacation? I know it was lovely. Always, you know, Hawaii, tropical islands are always great, but Hawaii especially is a good time. Especially like Hawaii because you know when you go there, you don't have to have a passport. It's not like you're going to the Caribbean island or anything. Everything is still driving on the right side of the road. You're still speaking the same language. It makes things a little easier to go on vacation for a tropical island. So, yep, have a little bit of a tan from that. Very happy, but happier to be back because it's getting in the crunch time. We're a couple of weeks away from training camp starting. We're going to have a ton of news flying out. I think we're even going to wind up having an episode completely dedicated to the current news going on uh, once we get into training camp because things will start to fly back and forth. We'll start to have, you know, roster watches, who's going to make the team, you know, some surprise cuts here and there. Maybe we'll get some surprise transactions here and there as well. We're continuing on with the team profile series today. We're going to talk about the Dolphins, the Bears, the Colts, the Seahawks. We have a few more teams to get to, a few more episodes to get to. I believe don't quote me on this, but I believe starting next week, we may be going to twice a week, Thursdays and Fridays. We'll see exactly how that's going to shake down uh, as we get closer to that. We will definitely be here next Friday from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. like we always are on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. But we may be opening back up to Thursdays and Fridays. And then by the time the season kicks around, we're going to be on five days a week. 
Uh, we'll have our, our two episodes, a recap episode, a waiver wire episode, which that will be available to you guys only through uh, your favorite pod streaming app. So whether it be iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, it doesn't matter. Just make sure you subscribe because it'll only be available through there. We'll be live streaming the other three episodes, which will be our Thursday previews, our Friday previews, and then Saturday night because we are now going to be taking over for the DCC event challenge. That's becoming the MD's face football show. Saturday nights will be our DFS and NFL betting episode. Very excited to be adding that to the edition of the MD's Fantasy football show. So that's what's going to be coming up with our upcoming schedule for the season and getting closer to season. We will be ramping it up to two episodes a week pretty, pretty soon. Now, Chris, like I said, we're talking about the Dolphins, the Bears, the Colts, the Seahawks in this one starting to move up to the better teams in our team profile series. Anything stuck out to you with these four teams? Yeah, I mean, I think the quarterbacks, one of the big things that jump out to me, a lot of quarterback changes or possible quarterback changes moving forward. And you got to kind of see how Tua succeeds in Miami. So I think the big questions are how the quarterbacks are kind of, will kind of move forward this season. Russell Wilson's kind of, you know, made his, his bones about the Seattle situation, about the offensive line and lack of weapons. So he's kind of has Seattle, you know, against the wall in some senses. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what quarterback kind of steps up for these different teams. Yeah, we're going to get into all that and more as we go through these teams, our fantasy expectations, our fantasy value for them going into 2021. Before we get kicked off with the Dolphins here in a second, though, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for the first segment of today, which is Manscaped. And summer is here, but are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck because our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Compliment your dad bod or your six pack if you're so lucky with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. So join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com today. So like I said, we're going to be talking about the Miami Dolphins to kick this show off. And we had a crazy offseason all in all. Chris, I'm going to kick this to you first. When you're dissecting this for the Miami Dolphins, where does it all start and stop? To me, it starts off with the quarterback position and what they did to address the position to help upgrade to it and give them some better players around them. Definitely some more speed. You add in Jalen Waddle, add in Will Fuller. I mean, I think those two guys are one of the fastest, some of the fastest players in the NFL. And you got some guys that can stretch the field now to kind of you know go with Devontae Parker. And we got Miles Gaskin returning to be the bell cow back for Miami, which is interesting. A lot of people thought they might upgrade or change the position, but they right now they're going into the season with Miles Gaskin as their starter. Yeah, they didn't didn't really draft anybody of significance. I mean, they, they do have, I believe it was Jared Dokes is who they drafted. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's for Atlanta. Uh, they didn't really didn't go after anybody of significance. They didn't really sign anybody of significance. They, they did sign Malcolm Brown. Maybe he has a goal line role. But as far as we can tell, to your point, it seems as though they're going to go into next season with Miles Gaskin at the running back position. Surprising to me. Look, he performed well. But I don't think any objective and smart NFL fan out there would tell you that Miles Gaskin is a 
great running back or a bell cow running back, somebody you want to build your entire team around. But the Dolphins feel like, at least for 2021 anyway, that's going to be fine for them. Now, he does catch the ball really well. Absolutely does. This is going to probably be a pass-first team for Tua. They bring in, they drafted Jalen Waddell. They signed Will Fuller. You still have Devontae Parker there. Mike Gusecki is still there. So you have a lot of weapons that are going to be built around this passing attack, which is why I can see the fit there within Miles Gaskin, who is very good at catching the ball out of the backfield. I think you're going to probably see a little bit more of an up-tempo offense, but it's a little hard to gauge exactly what this offense is going to be. You're going to have two different offensive coordinators. And as far as I know, as of now, Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't really know exactly which one is definitively going to be calling plays and or when. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how this kind of unfolds. We've had passing coordinators, run coordinators, but we've never had guys co-play calling. Um, And I think that we're kind of going into the preseason. From what I understand, they're going to kind of rotate in the preseason, and I'm not really sure how they're going to decide who you know ultimately calls the plays. But it will be really interesting to see, will this be something that kind of hinders to it, or will it be something that benefits him? Yeah, you have, you have George Godsey. He was the Dolphins tight end coach the last you know, few years there. Does have offensive coordinator experience. He was the offensive coordinator for the Texans back in 2015 and 2016. Eric Studsville, the other co-offensive coordinator that has been the Dolphins running backs coach for the past three seasons, has been in the league for a really long time, but he does not have any experience as a play caller. However, when you go through these press conferences and who gets to speak and everything like that, when I talk about the offense, Eric Stuzzle seems to be the guy who has a little bit more of the spotlight, making me lead to believe he'll be a little bit more of the front man as the offensive coordinator. But basically, you're going to have a passing game corner and a running game corner, but both guys calling plays. We'll see how this all shakes out. Uh, it does give me a little bit of concern when it comes to the continuity of things. If you're actually going to switch play callers, from week to week, or they've talked about possibly even doing it from game to game, especially in the preseason, one half to another half. It really makes me concerned about the continuity with that. Yes, they're going to have a game plan that they come up with and agree with throughout the week, but you still have two different guys with two different instincts calling plays. I just don't see how that would work. Yeah, I mean, especially as you talked about, you know, Miami considering going more up-tempo, you're kind of concerned with, you know, will the plays get in time? Will you kind of have two is stuck in whatever, you know, whatever play they called and not be able to check out because he's, you know, the clock's kind of running down. So it is going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. It's not something that's very common. It's not something I really know of. Um, I do know college, some college, different college teams have tried things like this. So it is something that, you know, isn't brand new, but it will be really interesting. And I, I tend to agree with you. I think that this is kind of one of the situations when you have, multiple quarterbacks playing. You don't have a true quarterback. I wonder if you have a true coordinator in Miami right now. Yeah, I mean, I've heard hot hand when it comes to the running back. I've never heard hot hand when it comes to the play caller. Uh, I mean, we do have changes, you know, in during the season from head coach to offensive coordinator sometimes, depending upon that situation, but nothing quite like this. We're going to say this all shakes out. Here's what I will say. Whoever is calling the plays that Tua is most succeeding at, that's who's going to continue to call the plays because that's where this offense is going to be built around. Now, again, Tua Tagovailoa is a sleeper or at least a guy who should be on your sleeper radar. Now, right now, you don't have to draft this guy. So we're talking about a guy you're going to be able to pick up off the waiver wire. There's no reason, even if you like Tua Tagovailoa as a sleeper, there's no reason to draft him because right now, He is going as QB 22 in his ADP, meaning he's not being drafted in 12-man half-point PPR leagues. But he's somebody who needs to be on your radar. If he does go to your waiver wire, make sure you add him to your watch list. 
He was much better last year than people want to give him credit for. And it really was a tale of two different halves within a half of the season that Tua Tagovailoa played. From weeks 8 through 11, he was only QB 22. But, <coughs> excuse me, from weeks 10 through, uh, from, now I got it all messed up. From weeks 13 through 17, there we go. From weeks 13 through 17, he was QB 14. Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at a quarterback that kind of, you know, has a lot of skills. I'm I'm shocked that he's going as late as he is right now. Because to your point, he wasn't as bad as people kind of made him to be last year. He's coming off a serious hip injury. Um, I expect nothing but progress from him, especially with running the ball. You know, two isn't a guy that necessarily stands in the pocket all the time when he was in college. So he's going to be able to use his legs, hopefully be more effective. And I do think that there's a lot of upside. You know, last year we saw kind of a flashes, people kind of doubting his skill set. But I think that when you look at it, they were basically weren't very aggressive with him last year. And a big part of that was because they were trying to make the playoffs, and his job was basically not to lose the games. You know, he kind of replaced Ryan Fitzpatrick midway through this uh, season, and kind of, you know, despite a lot of the, the team basically being in a playoff hunt, Fitzpatrick doing well. Um, and I think that a lot of, there was a lot of pressure on him basically not to screw up the ship. Yeah, you mentioned his legs. That was really the big difference between those two spans where he went from being a low-end QB2 to a higher-end QB2 because his legs was a difference. He only ran 15 times during that first stretch from weeks 8 through 11. From weeks 13 through 17, he ran 21 times for 75 yards and three rushing touchdowns. That was ultimately the difference and being more aggressive down the field. Now, he threw a lot more interceptions. He had five touchdowns, five interceptions in those in that last half run where in the beginning, he did it, but he was more aggressive getting yards. Actually, average per target was much higher during that. So here's what we know. You bring in a Waddle, you bring in a Will Fuller, you're bringing in guys that you're going to be able to take deep shots to. Yeah, and you're bringing in guys that are playmakers as well. I mean, look at the receiving core from Miami last year. You know, Devontae Parker was banged up most of the season. You have people like Grant, Alan Hearn sat out because of the COVID situation. Uh, Preston Williams was still kind of recovering from his injury. So you really didn't have a whole lot of weapons on the outside for Tua to really be aggressive with. And he was primarily looking for his, you know, receivers or his, I mean, his back, back to be his receiver and looking for some tight ends across the middle. He really didn't have any guys to push the ball out. Miami was the worst team with separation last year in the league, and it was by far. And I think a big part of that is because, you know, without him being able to have guys he kind of sees open, he wasn't really looking to force the ball too much. And I add in Will Fuller, add in Jalen Waddle, just explosive electric guys who can catch the ball from the five yards or 50 yards. It doesn't really matter. They can blow by guys or they can make guys miss. That's where it's really exciting to see what you can do with these kind of guys. Well, yeah, and there was all this talk, ridiculous talk, about his practice where he had five interceptions a, a few weeks ago. Uh, leaving out the fact that it was raining, downpouring, leaving out the fact that it's practice, who cares? Leaving out the fact that they're doing it for a reason. They're saying, hey, you know what? Let's see where we can get away with your arm strength. Where can we not? What can we force? What can we not force? The coaching staff has been consistent on one thing all offseason long, with, no matter what offensive coordinator it is, which is they want this offense to get more vertical. They want to attack the to be more aggressive. This all leads to a guy who especially can use his legs being a, a year removed from that hip injury will probably use his legs a little bit more confidently like he did towards the later half of the season to begin with. This all leads to a guy that has quite a bit of upside given his weapons, given the offense around him heading into next year. And a lot of people are sleeping on him. So this is going to be, I get 
Because of his value, you do not need to draft him, but he is going to be a sleeper for you in those waiver wire positions. He is going to be a guy you pick up and stream. He's very much in that group of quarterbacks that you can stream from a week-to-week basis based on matchup because he has a lot of upside with those weapons, his capabilities, and what the situation is now being built around him. Is there any closing thoughts you want on Tua? Yeah, I mean, for me, basically, I have a man crush on Tua. I, I can't understand the hatred towards this player. I think people would seem to just want to, you know, consider him a bust after playing basically half a season. Without the pressure of Ryan Fitzpatrick being backing him up and being kind of a threat to come in and take his job in a sense, like last year where he came in a couple fourth quarters to kind of spur the team, I think Tua's going to have an opportunity to kind of, you know, let it fly and kind of let loose. Um, and I'm excited by this guy. I think that he's going to be one of the, you know, a primary uh, one of the top, I think he's going to finish the top 10 quarterbacks, honestly. I think that people are really sleeping on him and I can't understand why. And I hope people are going to eat the words at the end of the season. I do want to circle back around to Miles Gaskin, circle back around to the running back group in general for the Miami Dolphins here. Uh, one of the things we didn't get to see too much last year was both Miles Gaskin and Savant Ahmed, who was the rookie, undrafted rookie, came to the Miami Dolphins and wound up having a pretty good stretch in his own right. We didn't get to see them healthy at the same time on this team. Miles Gaskin is going to be the lead guy. I don't think there's any question about that, but. These two could very well cut into each other. Now, there's a couple things to take in consideration when it comes to Miles Gaskin. He has a 5-1 to one injury rate ratio, first and foremost. So I have him three games missing when I built it into uh, the projections. He finished last year as the RB27. From weeks 3 through 7, he was the RB23. From weeks... Uh, and then he played again in week 12 where he was RB16. And in weeks 16 through 17, he was the RB4. He really finished the season strong last year his pro rate had he played all 16 games last season he would have been about 934 yards about five rushing touchdowns but this is where it gets a very important for miles gaskin 66 receptions 621 yards and three receiving touchdowns so he's going to give you a lot in the receiving game that's the one thing savant Ahmed was not nearly as good at with miles gaskin it's one thing malcolm brown doesn't do a whole lot of either is catch the football so we know Miles Gass is going to be the guy they turn to when they want to throw the football, which gives him the baseline to kind of reassure you that this is a guy who should be an RB2. Do I trust he plays all 17 games? No. Is there some concerns that maybe Malcolm Brown has a goal line role? Maybe Savant Ahmed is used on first and second down, sometimes taking away some carries from Miles Gaskin. Yeah, that's quite possible. I mean, Miles Gaskin is not a guy who's going to be getting 250 carries in a season. This is not going to happen. I believe I haven't projected. Uh, yeah, I haven't projected right about uh, 196 carries on in 14 games, which is about right for a guy like a Miles Gaskin. They'll be involved. I am a little bit worried about the touchdowns. Like I said, Malcolm Brown possibly getting a goal line role. I think that's it within the cards, but I know Gaskin is going to have a floor when it comes to receiving game. So when you're talking about from a half point PPR standpoint, I have him in a roughly RB2 high end RB3 range. His ADP right now is running back 25. That's about right with the value that I have for Miles Gaskin going somewhere in that fifth or sixth round. I don't think there's a ton of upside there. So that's the one thing I will caution that if you're drafting Miles Gaskin, you're drafting him for what he is, the floor that he can help you with. Maybe he's the type of guy you target if you're going, you know, if you're looking to target uh, no running backs and go all receivers early on. If you're invoking that strategy, I don't, you know, I don't 
I don't want you guys in part MD Nation to invoke any particular strategy other than drafting best valuable player available at your rounds because that's how you win your leagues. But if that was your game plan, he is the type of guy who falls into that mold because you know what you're going to get at least a floor basis because of that receiving game when it comes to Miles Gaskin. I just don't want to get swept away because people really love Miles Gaskin. They really want to promote him up in fantasy football a little too much because of the potential volume that he's seeking because of how well he played in certain stretches last year. Just remember, this is not a superstar level type of running back. He can do what he does, but he's not going to be out there all the time. You're not talking about a guy who's getting 20 touches in a game, but he does belong in that RB2 high end RB3 conversation for me. What are your thoughts as your value for him for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think right now his ADP is pretty fair. He's going between the sixth and eighth round. I think that's pretty much where you want to tackle Miles Gaskin. I, I agree with you. His upside is probably at RB2. It's probably an ideal RB3 for people. You know, great flex play. Um, I expect that he's going to have, you know, you said they're going to probably get 20 carries but, or 20 touches, but you're probably going to get about 15 touches pretty consistently between the receptions and running the ball. Um, with the offense maybe increasing the pace, there starts being more involved in the play calling. You do expect the path to running game to kind of be more effective, hopefully. And one thing that we can kind of see, we both are you know, proponents of, and we have a mobile quarterback that usually helps the running back have more effectiveness. And we can kind of see that with Tua getting his legs back. You can see that Miles Gaskin, you know, kind of was awesome in the last, you know, last couple of games of the season that you talked about finishing with RB4. So I think that when you look at his kind of stats and kind of Tua getting back on track, the offense and the speed they were kind of implemented on the outside, you're going to have a lot more running lanes. You're going to have a lot more check down opportunities. So Miles Gaskin has a nice floor for you. I mean, I think his ceiling is probably limited. I agree with that. But I do think that he's got a great floor and he's definitely an ideal RB3, you know, definitely borderline RB2 with upside. Yeah, like I said, just to come down to what's going to be Malcolm Brown's role, what's going to be Savant Ahmed's role, who on a per carry basis was actually the more efficient runner, not by a lot, but by a little bit last season. So just kind of see how that all mixes together. But we expect Miles Gaskin to be the lead guy and his values about correct for where he is and where I have him projected to be. It's kind of right in line with that. So let's get into the juiciness of this team, which is the wide receivers trying to figure out Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddle, uh, Will Fuller, who does have to miss the first week of the season. How much of that is a concern for you, Chris? Like he's coming off of a year where he finally stayed healthy. We find out it's because of the PEDs. He has to miss week one, which in some senses could be a big hindrance because you know, through training camp, you're preparing for the season, but you're also getting a jump start preparing for week one, and they kind of have to already prepare to not have Will Fuller there. Do you think that affects him along the way for the rest of the year past week one because of that? I mean, I really don't think so. You see a lot of teams not really use these guys in preseason as it is, so I expect the reps to kind of be there from in practice. As long as they're there, then he should be fine. Um, I don't worry about him missing the first game. And I actually think it might be a little benefit for Miami where they have kind of, you know, still haven't shown their offense, so to speak, after week one. They'll still have some things kind of, you know, unveil and be able to kind of maybe surprise teams with how they kind of use him. And I also think it gives the rookie Jalen Wild an opportunity to kind of get his feet wet right off the beginning of the season and kind of set himself up to be successful. I think that, you know, Miami is going to have an opportunity to kind of expand their playbook as the season progresses with the new coordinators. And I think week one is probably one of the weeks to probably be more conservative than anything. So we'll full floor being there. I don't think it really hurts them too much. I think after that, I think it's going to be fantastic. I mean, other than Will Fuller being healthy for the most part last year, you actually saw him really become one of the better receivers in the league. These guys are not just, you know, one-trick pony anymore. He's not just a speed, deep guy. He's getting better at running routes. He's been a bit of a big play, playmaker. He's, been, he's getting better making getting separation in the short routes, I should say. 
And having him on the outside, I think it's going to be fantastic. And then I think that also allows Jalen Waddle to play his natural in the slot, which I think he's just going to dominate inside. Yeah, it really becomes an interesting situation because you're trying to figure out on a game-to-game basis which Dolphins wide receiver is going to be the lead guy. Is it, you know, Devontae Parker is going to play the X, but it seemed as though last year, at the very least anyway, small sample size, but it didn't really seem like Tua and Devontae Parker were necessarily on the same page for most of the time that they were on the field together a season ago. Will Fuller comes in, to your point, looked like he took a kind of a breakout last year. How much does that have to do with the PEDs, not just staying healthy and all that, but also how his performance, how much does that affect that? You have Jalen Waddell coming in, very dynamic rookie, drafted him super high. He's definitely going to play right away. He's definitely going to start in three receiver sets. So it's kind of trying to figure out exactly which wide receiver is going to be the most valuable of this group. I believe it's actually going to be, uh, potentially going to be Jalen Waddell. For, because here's the other issue the Dolphins wide receivers have. They all have injury histories. Every single one of them have injury histories. I mean, the most healthy one really is Devontae Parker with an 8-1 to injury rate ratio. I have him playing 15 games. But Will Fuller, I have him down for a 3-1 to injury rate. Because if you take, it, you take out last year, I, I took away last year. Because I don't know how much I had to do with the PEDs. And still, because he got suspended, he only wanted to play 11 games anyway. He hasn't played more than 11 games in a season in his career. So this is a guy that I have to actually anticipate. We know he's going to miss week one. I anticipate he's going to miss another four games on top of that. I have him potentially missing five games baked into the projections. So Waddle, he's not, I mean, he's, we don't know where he's at. He's coming off of an ankle injury himself going into training camp. There's been questions about how, you know, he's been kind of muscling. He muscled it through with OTAs. How is, is he going to be 100% starting training camp too? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Woo, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. He's the only one that up until last year, he didn't have an injury history in Alabama. But you have that question too. Preston Williams, who's the fourth guy, we know he can't stay healthy for more than eight games so far in his career. He has a two to one ratio rate. I basically have him missing eight games. I don't. I don't even know how much of a factor he's going to be unless somebody gets hurt in front of him and see where he's at in his own recovery. So when you're looking at this, what wide receiver do you think is going to be the most valuable 
for the season or and also on a week to week basis out of this group? Yeah, I mean, for me, is Wolf, it's going to be Will Fuller if he's healthy. I think Will Fuller will be the most consistent receiver in his offense because of his ability to, to get open because he has explosiveness. I think he's going to get separation. But I think, as to your point, if it's going to be you're concerned about injuries and Will Fuller is going to be missing games here or there, then I'd look at Jalen Waddle. You have a chemistry that was already built in Alabama with Tua. You have a guy that's kind of familiar, and like I said, he could play a lot of slot. And if he's in the slot, he's going to get matched up a lot of times with his third corners. Nobody can really stick him inside. He's going to be an easy kind of dump out route. I think it'd be fabulous in PPR role because I think he's going to be to his primary uh, uh, drop off guy or dump off guy, I should say. And I think that when you know, overall he could have the most in you know, the best season because he's probably going to be the most healthy more than likely. Devontae Parker, I think, could surprise some people. He's basically you know not even talked about right now. I don't. Know, I think he's going like the 14th, 15th round or something like that right now. Um, I I do think having a whole training camp with Parker and being in the you know, getting used to kind of how he he plays and his style will help to become more comfortable with him. You know, a lot, a lot of things that we saw last year, like we talked about, was, you know, two was trying to not lose games and trying to be more conservative. And he also, people kind of forget the guy didn't have any training camp last year at all. So I think having opportunity to kind of get in the same page with Devontae Parker, he might learn in the 50-50 balls or something where he can throw more often. Maybe Parker is definitely more effective, particularly in the red zone, where I think he's going to be a primary threat and one of the guys he looks for most of the time. So I do think all three receivers can eat in a lot of ways. I do think Jalen Wilder will probably be the most consistent, but I think Will Fuller might have the most upside because if he's he- if he's healthy, he's going to be you know having one on one coverage against the second or third corner a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, again, this comes back to really ultimately Tua and the offense. Are they truly going to be more aggressive with Tua? They're going to let him rip the ball down the field. It's really it comes back to that over and over and over again because you look at Devontae Parker from weeks eight through eleven. He was wide receiver 42. This is, this is with playing with Tua. Weeks 13 through 14, he was wide receiver 102. Then Parker himself was banged up. Comes back in week 17 for a great performance. Week 17, he had 14 targets, 7 catches, 116 yards. In that, in that week, when they decided to let Tua just throw it all over the place in that, in that last game there. So the question is going to be, do they build upon how the season ended in that last game? Or is it because Will Fuller comes in? Is it... Do I throw the guys to get more naturally more separation? Because they think with Devontae Parker, he was 108th in separation last season. He, you have to be willing to throw him jump balls. I don't know if Tua is. He might be a guy who wants his guys to get separation, which would lead me to believe, kind of in your line of thinking, I think on a week-to-week basis, if everybody's healthy, I think Will Fuller's going to be the guy that you want to own. I think for the season long stretch, to me, it's going to be Jalen Waddle. I think he's got the best chance to play 17 games, but not only that, because he's going to get to play the slot because he's a guy who gets natural separation and is a big play threat. I think he's going to be more involved in this offense than people realize. I have him projected for almost 120 targets, 950 yards, 77 receptions, four receiving touchdowns. I have him, that puts him squarely in a wide receiver three type of range in half-point PPR leagues. So to me, it's Waddle, it's Will Fuller. Devontae Parker is a guy that you could take very, very late. Some some drafts you might you might not even have to draft them at all depends on exactly what's going but there is very limited upside with him unless we get completely surprised by Tua and his relationship this year but otherwise I'm kind of in the line of thinking with you with Will Fuller on a week to week basis Jalen Waddle for the season yeah as you talked about the Dolphins have some guys who get injured so I think that one thing is pretty interesting about this receiving core is that even if you don't draft these guys they should be on the radar like a Preston Williams Devontae Parker. Because you know, Will Fuller hasn't played a full season, as you pointed out. Jalen Wilder has it coming off a major injury. So when you look at you know those two situations, 
one thing the Dolphins have better than most of these teams out there is better depth at receiving position. I think they definitely have the ability to kind of take on missing guys. Yeah, they learned that from last year, didn't they? When they're down to like their practice squad guys, essentially bringing Lynn Bowden, came one over from the Raiders, going from running back to wide receivers or lead guy for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, and then you and you see a lot of guys returning. Like I said, you have Alan Hearns back, so they actually had the position so loaded they're actually going to cut some guys that are quality receivers, and they added a tight end in the draft as well. So I think they pretty much covered themselves to make sure that no matter what, they're going to have weapons out there for their quarterback. Speaking of the tight ends, we go to Mike Isicki, last guy to talk about for the Miami Dolphins here. He's the one guy who's in a. I guess a solidified situation. You know it's going to be Mike Gusecki for 2021. We'll see what happens after that with his contract situation, with them drafting Hunter Long. We'll see how that goes. I think it's going to be a question. The only question is going to really be, what is his target share with all these new receivers when they're when everybody's on the field? Where, where is he going to target out with those guys? We'd look at last year. Again, last year, not the greatest example because the Dolphins were struggling with having wide receivers healthy on the field. So Mike Gusecki kind of got targeted out of necessity in some senses, but weeks eight through 11 when two first took over. Remember two wasn't very good fantasy wise for that. And neither was anybody else. Mike Kosicki was tight end 18 during that stretch weeks, 13 through 14. However, all of a sudden Kosicki was getting targeted a bunch. And to be fair, Devontae Parker was on the field during those games as well. And he was suddenly, he was tight end three for those two games. And then the last two games, he was tight end 16 when Tua got more aggressive and started going more towards the wide receivers. So it does leave the question out there. If you have healthy wide receivers and Tua is being more aggressive, there's a scenario here where there's a, a low floor for Mike Kosicki quite potentially. Now, Kosicki right now, he's being uh, drafted as a tight end one. That is fair. I actually haven't projected to be a tight end one myself this season because you still figure he's going to get a certain allotment of targets uh, to attack level. does like to go to the tight ends going back to Alabama, especially in the red zone. He is going to be involved and there's a chance here with these wide receivers, how they pretty much go in a carousel because they all have injury histories. Essentially he's the one guy who I think might be the one constant throughout the season. So he's a tight end one for me, but with a low floor. Yeah. Um, for me, I think this is the guy who's going to suffer the most with the receiving additions. One of the things that for Gusecki, he's primarily most effective when he actually lines up in the slot and plays mostly a slot, slot role for them. And I think because of the added receiver depth, because of people like Jalen Waddle playing the slot more often, I think Gusecki's going to be the guy who kind of suffers overall statistically. Um, I don't think he's our, I don't think he's a tight end one. I think there's some other guys I'd take shots on, but I don't think he's somebody that you're necessarily not going to draft at all if you're looking for a tight end. Um, I do think he has some upside in certain weeks. I think what you're going to see the Dolphins kind of look at as, as a team in general is kind of matchup, you know, based on the matchup, you're going to see certain guys have, you know, more dominant games. I think they're going to go to the guys who are open, whoever has single coverage and the guys that they can kind of, you know, utilize or, or beat guys that are play, matched up on week to week. So Gusecki, I think will have some, you know, big weeks, but I also think there'll be weeks where you don't see him do anything just because I think the other receivers are too involved. And I think it's because his receivers also are going to be, you know, stealing a lot of his routes in some of the ways. Um, I'm really curious to see how it unfolds. It's also in a contract year. You know, the Dolphins are making no effort to re-sign him and basically have let it be known they're not really going to offer top-notch money for him. So it's going to be really curious to see how the season unfolds with him and how involved he actually becomes in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of his value, I believe, is going to be tied to the health of the wide receivers because, to your point, when all these wide receivers are healthy, I don't think he gets enough of a target share consistently. He's going to be in that range of tight ends, that bottom tight end one tier 
where he's going to be that guy that you are stream or wanting to stream with, where he's like he's a good enough tight end to plug him in your lineups, but you are going to probably be a guy that you're going to stream week in and week out. And even if he finishes in the top twelve, consistency wise, it probably will be close to fifty fifty as far as when he actually finishes as a starter or not. Uh, so it's going to be kind of tough to see exactly when it's going to be time to play him when everybody's healthy and on the field. I believe just with the way the wide receivers are, with the way this offense is trending as far as how they're practicing, that's just what I foresee when it comes to that. Let's move on to another team. Let's move on to the Chicago Bears. And this is where everything gets nice and interesting. Chris, I'm going to let you kick it off as a former Chicago Bears fan. What are you a fan of this team? What are you not a fan of on on this team this year, fantasy purpose-wise? I mean, number one, what I'm not a fan of is Andy Dalton having a chance to be the starting quarterback. I think that was totally stupid. It was signing for them. And I think that when you look at the stubbornness of Nagy right now, saying that Andy Dalton will get every opportunity to be the starter and will more than likely be the week win starter, I think you're just hindering the offense in a lot of ways. David Montgomery concerns me. I love David Montgomery. He's one of my favorite players at running back. But I also know that Nagy's planning on – Matt Nagy's planning on taking back over the play calling um, and we saw how horrible he was at the beginning of the season last year and how uninvolved David Montgomery was. When suddenly Bill Lazor took over the call play calling, how much Montgomery would benefit from that. And another person, Al Robinson, also benefited a lot from that. So I'm really curious to see those two guys, Al Robinson and David Montgomery, how they kind of overcome Matt Nagy becoming the play caller again. Um, and then also how long do the Bears kind of sit on Justin Fields and not play him and try to stick to the idea that you know they're going to play Andy Dalton out there. We saw the debacle of Matt Glennon. Um, we saw the debacle of Nick Foles. It's like Chicago just doesn't understand how to play the talented guys right off the bat. So I'm really concerned with the quarterback play, especially in the beginning of the season where, you know, you don't know what's going to happen until week three, week four, especially with some of these guys that are running back and receivers because you just don't really know what this offense is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, that's the big elephant in the room when it comes to Chicago Bears right now is Why? Why do you feel the need to have to start the season with Andy Dalton? And from a projector standpoint, because they seem to be pushing that drum no matter what, even though it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, as a projector, it becomes impossible to really target exactly what fantasy expectations this team could have because you're going to be drastically two different offenses from Andy Dalton to Justin Fields. So the question becomes, when does Andy Dalton take over? Well, as a projector, I, there's, there's no way to know. I, I think it should be. Week one, that Justin Fields take over, that's, that's not going to be the case. I think it could be by the end of September. But just to play it safe, I just had it. You know what? I have Andy Dalton going all the way out to the bye week. They have a bye week in week 10. So he's going to play nine games. I have Justin Fields playing eight. I just kind of base it off of that. Almost a half and half split, essentially, and how that affects everybody else. There's only one safe fantasy player in my mind, and that's Allen Robinson. Because no matter who the quarterback is, no matter who the play caller is, he gets targeted. He gets targeted like crazy. Uh, when Laser took over in week 10, well, oh, here it was. With Nagy, with Nagy, Allen Robinson, this is, he was wide receiver nine. With Laser, he was wide receiver 15. Now, the big difference was the amount of targets, but either way, he was targeted like crazy. Either way, this guy is a, a low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. 
Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So he was getting, he was actually getting targeted down the field a little bit more with laser, but he was getting targeted more in general when Nagy was calling the place. It doesn't matter. Everyone's excited about Darnell Mooney. I don't care about any other pass catcher on Chicago Bears not named Allen Robinson. Whether it's Andy Dalton, whether it's Justin Fields, already having that fluctuation at the quarterback position, I'm just going to go with the one guy who I know is going to get targeted on a consistent basis. Everybody wants to talk up Darnell Mooney as this guy who should have this or could have this breakout type of sleeper season. I don't see it. We, how many years do we have to get talked? Pretty much Darnell Mooney's the new Anthony Miller. Everyone would talk about Anthony Miller about being this guy who's going to be you know, needed on your fantasy teams because he has his skill set and somebody else besides Allen Robinson has to catch the ball. How often did you ever play Anthony Miller? I don't see what the difference is with Darnell Mooney and his role. It's the same role. He's the same type of player. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, Darnell Mooney, to me, I think he's more speedy than Miller. I think that's what he kind of brings to the table. He actually can get on top of the corners and beat guys deep. The problem with that is with Andy Dalton, a quarterback, how deep are they going to push the ball? And this offensive line didn't really upgrade over the offseason. And they lost their starting tackles. They replaced them with their draft pick and Jenkins, but they're playing in the left tackle versus right tackle, which I think is just stupid. And so you're going to have some issues with pass protection, I think, early on with this team, especially Andy Dalton, who can't really move around anymore. So Darnell Mooney only has value if your quarterback can move or you're able to push the ball down the field. So to your point, it's not a guy I'm targeting in a draft. It's a guy I'm going to keep, keep my eyes on you know, as the season progresses or possible waiver wire of certain matchups. But I think he's a big play guy, and I don't think he's going to have a consistent usage in this offense. No, don't waste your time in drafting a Darnell Mooney in 12-man PPR leagues. Just don't, don't waste your time. There's plenty of guys who have a much higher floor, same amount of upside, if you want to argue upside, uh, that you can take in those similar situations. Allen Robinson himself, his ADP is 37 overall, wide receiver 12 ADP. That's about where he, he should go. Because, like, again, doesn't matter who the quarterback is, doesn't matter who the play caller is, he's going to get targeted a lot. I have him projected for 150 targets this season, 98 receptions, over 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns. That puts him right there in that territory. Again, it doesn't matter. That's how good he is. And, again, playing another year on the franchise year, Another year away from a long-term contract probably won't be with Chicago. He's going to have a lot that he still has to play for. So look for Allen Robinson to continue to being himself. The other question is going to be David Montgomery. Everyone, you know, everyone wants to figure it out. Which David Montgomery are you going to get? The first half of the season, the second half of the season. Here's my big thing with David Montgomery. And, and, and it's great that Nagy you know, wants to talk about getting Montgomery 20 carries a game that came out the other day. Whatever. That's not going to happen, but that that's fine. It's good to hear that they want to give him a bell cow type of workload. It's good that they keep talking him up. This is going to be his best season. It's, good. it's not going to be. It's going to take a regression from last year, but it's good to know that they are going to get him the ball. I'm not worried about him getting the ball, though, when it comes to the carries or the goal line. My issue is what's his involvement in the passing game, because that was what kept him afloat last season when Nagy was calling plays. The thing that kept him being an RB2 was the fact that Tariq Cohen went down so early in the season, they didn't have anybody else, that David Montgomery wasn't just getting the carries, he was also getting the receptions. Last season, weeks 4 through 17, without Tariq Cohen, he was get, he was catching the ball consistently. Weeks 1 through 3, so we, weeks 4 through 17, he was RB4. Weeks 1 through 3, with Tariq Cohen, he was RB22. So he's still at RB2 in 12-man leagues. 
But you see the difference there because he's not getting all the targets all the time because Tariq Cohen's cutting into that factor. He doesn't have that high-end floor necessarily. So that's more what I'm worried. I'm more worried about Tariq Cohen and Matt Nagy taking away the passing game of David Montgomery than I am about him. What's his involvement going to be as far as an actual ball carrier goes on this team? Not to mention, again, going back to the quarterback situation, I think there's a better chance that David Montgomery is going to be more efficient with Justin Fields. We saw it last year. Mitch Trubisky took over, or when he was playing over Nick Foles, the mobility factor, the RPO factor, much more efficient with that type of a quarterback than a statue pocket passer, especially with that offensive line that did not improve, as you pointed out. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not worried about our Terry Cohen. He still seems to be kind of banged up. They're not really sure what he's going to actually bring to the table this year. But I do understand the concerns of Matt Nagy taking over and how involved David Montgomery will be in the passing game. They did bring in DME Williams from Kansas City. He was very familiar with the offense. We'll have VL probably, probably get rotated in here. And we kind of know, you know, historically, that people under Andy Reid like to kind of rotate their quarter or rotate their running backs. So I wouldn't be surprised if you do see a Damian Williams kind of used a little bit more than we expect him to be or want him to be. Um, so I think now, right now, David got Mark Montgomery. He's got a very good ADP. I think he's going basically in the third or fourth round, which I think is very fair. I think the production is going to be there overall. It's going to be how consistent it is. I think he's going to be a guy who's just dying for Justin Fields to take over. Because to your point, I think they'll benefit him more than anybody. Um, but I also think that when it comes to Matt Nagy, what I'm concerned about all his involvement in the passing game is the obviousness when they run the ball. If you give sometimes you know guys guaranteed to get carries or try to utilize quote unquote the running game, they do that dive off tackle thing, right off the guard between the garden center and just sit there and smash up and then get second and nine, second and nine, or all the time. It's that's where Matt Nagy doesn't really seem to understand how to utilize the running game properly. He decides, you know, first down, here comes the run no matter what. It's gonna be between tackles. We saw David Johnson kind of suffer with that two years ago in Arizona. I have legitimate concerns David Montgomery kind of not be utilized properly because this guy's not, you know, just a hammer. He's a smaller back in a sense where he's not, you know, he's not Derrick Henry. He's not, he's not a 250-pound running back who can just sit there and just beat up, you know, beat up guys on the line. So I, I think that they need to make sure that they involve him in different ways and don't become too predictable and offensively, especially the play calling. Yeah, I agree with that. And bring up Damian Williams is an excellent point. Because now you have got another guy with Tree Cohen. If he's not 100% healthy, if he does go down again due to injury, whatever the case may be, you still have another guy who actually profiles as a pass catcher, again, familiar with the system. Again, going back to last year, it was 75-25 ratio in favor of Tariq Cohen when it came to the targets, when it came to the receptions on this team. Now, if he goes down and Damian Williams assumes that role, again, it's setting up that David Montgomery is not going to be as involved in the passing game if the trend with Matt Nagy continues. Now, if he decided after last year, seeing what David Montgomery could do as the full bell cow back and decides that, you know what, we're going to stick with that, then this could be a completely different scenario. But because we haven't seen that with Nagy, and we know his tendencies, we know his history of what he tends to do with running backs in these situations, tends to pinch and hole guys, I'm not confident it's going to be the case one way or another with Tariq Cohen or Damian Williams. Fact is, there's still way more competition in this backfield, even if they're not you know, competition in the sense of taking away uh, significant carries from David Montgomery. There's enough competition, enough more uh, co- competent backups that they're going to probably be involved in one way or another. So it's going to be coming down to this Matt Nagy. Does he stick with what David Montgomery was able to do when he was the bell cow guy? Or are you going to be hell bent on using Tariq Cohen? And when he's hurt or not hundred percent healthy, are you going to then just use Damian Williams in that same role and continue to take David Montgomery off the field in third down in two minute drills? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be very curious. I think that you're going to probably see a 65-35 split, in my opinion. And Gail Montgomery gets 65% of the carries and touches. I think there'll be a 35% rotate between those two other backs you're talking about. I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up just being one guy like Damian Williams kind of takes over that role. So I think that where you're kind of looking at Montgomery being a true, you know, a true bell cow, he probably won't get the touches that people expect him to or want him to. But I do think he's going to be highly effective anyway. Um, I think you still, you guys still going to be an RB too. And like I said, where, where the EDP right now is, I think it's fair and it's somebody that you don't want to forget about. I think people are kind of piling up a little bit too much. You know, A. Dalton does suck, but Justin Fields takes over that quarterback position. You know, this guy can become have some definite upside. He, like you talked about from week four to seventeen, he's RB four. So I mean, this guy's got a lot of upside with potential. So you don't want to sleep sleep on him either. Yeah, ADP right now thirty eight overall, RB twenty one. That's fair value. That's where he has to go because that's where his that's here's what I will say. That's where his floor is. Right now you can draft him at his floor because let's all we have to do is, you know, turn this thing around and say, you know what? Nagy did learn his lesson. They let David or David Montgomery did take the next step up in his development and they let him be the bell cow back. That upside is there. That we saw the top five upside last season. So you have the upside there. Right now you can draft him at his floor because of all those factors. So the key would just be don't overdraft him. You can get him as a low-end RB2, then that's where you draft him at because protect yourself against those variables of the stupidity that is the Chicago Bears, that is Matt Nagy. Now we talk about the quarterbacks. I'm not going to get too much into the quarterbacks. You're not going to draft either one of these guys. you know, Because Andy Dalton's starting, you're not going to draft Justin Fields in a redraft league or anything like that. However, be ready because when he takes over, because of his scrambling ability, you want to talk about Justin Herbert-esque or whatever other quarterback you could think of that you picked up along the season, maybe Ryan Tannehill, and finish out strong because what he could do from a fantasy standpoint, that's going to be Justin Fields. That's going to be that guy. So be ready. When he takes over, this is going to be a guy who's competing for top 12 quarterback position for fantasy football every single week because of what he can do with his legs. And because he does have at least one wide receiver to go to in Allen Robinson. There's another yeah. frustrating guy. I was going to say... I think this is a guy that might be, you know, nice for the playoff run. You definitely, to your point, you want to keep your eye on when he becomes a starter because he has a lot of upside, especially with those legs. Reminds me a lot of what Jalen Hurts kind of brought to the table last year when, you know, kind of sparked some teams here, um, sparked the Eagles, had some nice games, his ability to run, his ability to throw a little bit, had, you know, wonderful production, a couple games there. So I think you look at somebody like Justin Fields, you have a lot of upside potential, you have a solid floor because of the legs. So it is a guy that, you know, is an RB2 would be ideal for you especially going into the playoff run. And guys like that, again, are why I'm just going to continue to reiterate all summer long. Don't draft the quarterback early. There are too many good options you're going to be able to pick up during the season, not alone draft late uh, in these upcoming redraft leagues. So just, just don't do it early. There's too many good options for you out there. The only other thing to talk about with the Bears, the tight end situation, it's frustrating. The tight end situation is very frustrating. Why is Jimmy Graham... Uh, first, I want to say, why is he still playing football? Because he really should retire. But fine. Somebody wants to still pay you. You want to keep going. My hat's off to you. But why does he have to get paid as much as he does? Why does he still have to be there? Because I think Cole Komet is a tight end who's going to be very, very fantasy relevant maybe in 2022. Because as long as Jimmy Graham's still there, I think Matt Nagy come hell or high water, especially because of how much they're paying him, feels obligated to use him in the red zone. Therefore, these two tight ends really eat into each other. I have Cole Komet being the lead targeted guy at the end of the day, but because these two guys I expect to be involved to possibly a 60-40 ratio, maybe 70-30, maybe, 
But because of that, I don't have either one of them being fantasy relevant. And one of these guys actually should because of the lack of wide receivers around Allen Robinson. Somebody else could actually be a nice red zone target. And they just eat into each other and kill each other off to the point where I'm not playing either one of these guys unless Jimmy Graham starts falling into the end zone at the rate that he did last season, which I don't quite expect. I do expect Cole Komet to take a little bit more of a step up. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, I think it's disappointing. Even if any thought was your quarterback, you saw him have success with Tyler Eifert in Cincinnati. So last year, you know, uh, uh, Dalton Schultz actually, uh, Schultz actually have a good, you know, little spurt there at the, towards the end of the season. So A. Dalton looks like to throw those tight ends. But to your point, they're basically kind of blowing each other. Um, I don't know why Jimmy Graham's still on this team. I think that especially when they cut Fuller on at the corner position and kept Jimmy, it makes absolutely no sense to me. But because of that, you realize he's going to have to have a role. I mean, they're going to basically, I think they're justifying not only having Jimmy Graham as probably what Dalton's going to be the starter because they're justifying paying these two players, you know, two of them $20 million. So Chicago's not going to walk away from these two guys and just basically have some on the bench right off the bat because they invest as much money in them. So I think there's going to be pressure to, you know, have Jimmy out there. There's going to be pressure to keep Andy Dalton as long as he can out there. And I think that's where the Bears are really going to suffer and kind of, especially fantasy wise, it's going to suck for us because you can't really, te- you know, narrow in the one guy other than Al Robinson basically in his offense or David Montgomery. I think Jimmy Graham was successful in the red zone pretty much last year. He touchdowns, but other than that, did absolutely nothing. And Cole Clement is definitely the better tight end, especially all-around tight end. But to your point, you're basically going to have two guys out there who who knows from game to game how their utilization is going to be involved and how much they'll be used in the red zone. We'll be kind of switching in and out. We'll be a rotation by series. I mean, it's just so many questions. The tight end position, you can't look at either one of these guys' options right now. I have been thinking... Who is going to be my next Adam Gaze, who I just make fun of all the time for coaching? It very, very well may wind up being Matt Nagy. At least it has been so far for the stupidity. The has no should have no reputation right now as being a good play caller because he really hasn't been since he's taken over Chicago at all. And the personnel decisions going back to last year, too, with the quarterback position between Mr. Trubisky and Nick Foles, nothing has made sense whatsoever in his line of thinking and anything that he has done. So there's a good chance Matt Nagy is going to be my new Adam Gase throughout the 2021 season. And Chicago, if they don't make the playoffs, I got to think he's gone. We'll see exactly what happens. I thought he'd be gone after last year, him and Ryan Pace, but who, who knows? This is Chicago, well, and there's there's one of the most retarded things. I'll let you finish on that one. I was going to say, yeah, I'm shocked they're both back as well. And the guy who's you know should get a lot of this way, Matt Nagy's a horrible coach, and I don't argue that at all. Ryan Peace, this guy has done a horrible, horrendous job being a general manager of Chicago Bears, particularly at the quarterback position. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars on that position. And on some of the guys who have only played one or two games, like, like a Mike Lennon, 
like an E. Dalton's probably going to do, like a Nick Foles. Um, these guys are making millions and millions of dollars for what reason? Because basically this guy has no eye for talent. They maybe they lucked into Justin Fields. I hope they don't screw him up in a lot of senses because he has opportunity to have upside, opportunity to be a successful player. But just this general manager and his coaching staff has just not been nice to, you know, hasn't been friendly to quarterbacks for a while now and has made retarded, you know, um, decisions when it comes to who to keep and who to get rid of. So about Jimmy Graham, this defense isn't going to be as good. So the one thing that could benefit fantasy-wise, Bear fans or Bear, I mean, people you have on the Bears team, is that their defense isn't going to be as good as it has been in the past as, as a result, and maybe the offense is asked to do a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to have to see. Uh, Matt Nagy's catastrophe. It's But a lot of this is going to come down to how quickly does Justin Fields take over hopefully sooner rather than later, but I would say this to everybody out there. Don't hold your breath because that's how dumb these guys are running the show. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side. We still have the Colts and the Seahawks to talk about along with the mailbag segment at the end of the show. So stay tuned to the MD's fantasy football show on the worldwide sports radio network. Also presented to you by belly up sports. Hi, this is Terry Cruz. Actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text diploma to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. That's diploma to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No. Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. This is you over 30 years ago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this is your mom when you drive her back from therapy. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. AARP gives you the information to help care for your mom so that you can have patience with her just like she did with you. Visit aarp.org caregiving or call 1-877-333-5885 
to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved one. Are we there yet? Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP. We help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're just talking about the Dolphins and the Bears and our fantasy analysis on those two teams in the first half of today's show. Now in the second half here, we're going to be talking about the Colts and the Seahawks. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer. At the end of the show, we'll have the mailbag segment for you guys. And remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment or if you have a question, all you have to do is hit us up on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow. We will answer your question. We'll select a few ones that we like put them on the show, give you guys a shout out for it. And we really appreciate the trust that you show us with these questions to be able to help you out because this is ultimately what we're here for, why we do this in the first place. We want to help people win championships, win their fantasy leagues, no matter what type of league you're in, whether it's dynasty, best ball, redraft, it does not matter. We cover it all here. I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for this segment on this half of the show before we get started here. And I want it, it's going to be symbol and that's S I M B U L L where wall street meets sports gambling and this innovative app symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout and when they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team share is all that matters and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDS Fantasy for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the Sportsbook Edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download the Symbol app and again, use the promo code MDS Fantasy for your $10 deposit bonus today. So let's talk about the Colts, who again comes back. Like you said, the top of the show, Chris, this, this, you know, this really is about the quarterback position, essentially, when it comes to these teams. And we're talking about the Colts and talking about the fact that they brought in Carson Wentz to be that quarterback for them. What impact does Carson Wentz make? What's in store for him going back to Frank Reich with this team? Does he have enough weapons to make the turnaround, the right coaching staff to make the turnaround? Just overall... What do you expect out of Carson Wentz? I expect a huge bounce back from Carson Wentz, and I think that we're going to see the quarterback we saw a few years ago. Um, I think that the Philadelphia situation was a catastrophe to start off between the Jalen Hurts drafted pick in the second round to the receiving quarter that they had was banged up last year. The offensive line was banged up. Uh, Doug Peterson seemed to just not know how to call plays anymore. Um, and I think overall it was just a catastrophe for Carson Wentz. I think he's in the, with a comfortable coordinator again, back with Frank Reich. I think he's got an offensive line that's solid. He's got a good running game behind him. You know, top of the weapons, I think Michael Pittman and uh, Ty, you know, Hilton are better than what he had last year throwing to. He had basically Travis Fulcom and, you know, running back position, Boston Scott. And you had basically no guys. They were just bombs basically all around him. So I think the situation's definitely improved. You know, I think the Colts can still stand to use. 
upgrade. They should have definitely targeted Julio Jones, in my opinion. But overall, I think Russell Williams has enough weapons to be effective because let's be honest, since he's been in Philadelphia, he hasn't had great receivers. No, he hasn't been. Carson Wentz winds up being in the same category as a Tua Tagovailoa, where, again, he's another guy that you probably, you're not going to have to draft him. His ADP is QB 21. You don't have to draft this guy. But again, somebody you need to have on your radar, another quarterback who I do believe is going to have a lot of streaming value for you because he's got nothing but upside. You're going back to Frank Reich. He had his best success when Frank Reich was there with him, calling the plays for him. You're going to a team that has more weapons than the Eagles have had the past few years. Yes, it's not the greatest of wide receiver cores, but I do like Michael Pittman. I don't think T.Y. Hilton is done. I think he fills a role perfectly there. We don't really know what we have at a Paris Campbell. We haven't really seen him play in two seasons so far in the NFL, but we know he's fast if he's out there on the field, if nothing else. They bring back Mo Alley-Cox. They bring back Jack Doyle, so you have solid tight ends. We know Carson Wentz loves to have solid tight ends around him. And most importantly, well, I shouldn't say most importantly, second to most importantly, you have Jonathan Taylor, excellent running back. Most importantly, a good offensive line. And unlike the Philadelphia Eagles, who do have a good offensive line when they're healthy, seem to stay healthier than the Eagles' offensive line does, or at least more consistently than the Eagles' offensive line has in the past few seasons. To me, the thing that you have to take in consideration with Carson Wentz and what his you know, upside potential could be when people talk about can he return to MVP level is that regardless from a fantasy standpoint, you have to take into consideration this guy doesn't play full 16-game seasons and now you're going to a 17-game season. He doesn't. He has a 5-to-1 injury ratio. Have to put him in missing at least three games in the projections. We haven't seen him stay healthy. Even in that MVP year, one of the reasons he didn't turn into the MVP was because he got injured. Uh, so that's something you do have to take into consideration with Carson Wentz. And you have to take into consideration when you look at the rest of this team, too, if you have to factor in Carson Wentz missing time when it comes to the Colts wide receivers, when it comes to the tight ends. The only thing it doesn't really affect too much is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so I love Carson Wentz. I love his upside that he has going back to a coaching staff that I think is much better that he has familiarity with. I think he's a guy, again, you don't have to draft him because his ADP is 21. So if you're in those typical, you know, 12-man half-point PPR leagues, which is what we base our a lot of our rankings, a lot of our analysis off of because it's kind of in the middle of all your normal formats, essentially. Uh, you're not going to have to draft this guy, but he does have that upside with Frank Reich, he is somebody to have on your radar who very well could be a good streaming quarterback. Last year, weeks one through 14, Doug Peterson, when he started, he was a QB2 in that time. Uh, when I say QB2, I mean he was, you know, he was in that top 16 range there. The big thing for me, Carson Wentz, too, is not just that he's returning to Frank Reich and, and what that may do for his passing skill set, but does he continue to be comfortable to run? Because that's the one that he does add on top of it as well, kind of like a Tua. Are you comfortable to run more to establish that baseline floor to go with certain matchups that you're going to want to stream him in? Uh, so that, that always all boils down to me for for Carson Wentz, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I think that you know, last year you saw him use his legs a bit more, especially in the red zone, scored some rushing touchdowns. I think that'll be you know very crucial for his success fantasy-wise. And he'll have a better opportunity if they do kind of utilize him his athleticism a little more. Maybe you see some more RPO, so he gets more rushing opportunities as well. So I do think Carson Wentz has a lot of upside. I mean, we saw a very similar skill set with Andrew Luck that was kind of with Frank Reich. And then Carson Wentz kind of brings that similar skill set. But if he is on his game and things do work right, 
Carson Wentz getting one of the steals that you have on your fantasy team this year. Yeah, I have him averaging about 17 points a game, which puts him in that high-end QB2 territory on a week-to-week basis, essentially. Uh, the one real bright spot, fantasy-wise, for the Colts that there's no question about, you'll definitely be drafting probably in the first round, is Jonathan Taylor. Last year, he finishes his RB6. His ADP is RB5. That's a little... I do get that he's probably going to go in the first round, and yet he should go in the first round. Top five running back? I don't know if we saw enough last year for a top five running back. And I want to remind everybody, uh, you do guys, you do remember that Naeem Hines was annoyingly involved. Uh, Jordan Wilkins was even annoyingly involved at times last season. Marlon Mack is back. We don't know exactly where he's at coming off the Achilles injury. That is going to be a question that really probably won't be answered until we get into training camp and get to see it. But we know Frank Reich likes to rotate backs. Now, Jonathan Taylor will be the guy. He'll be the lead. I'm not questioning that. I'm not arguing that. But we do know, kind of similar to a Joe Mixon, Gmine Bernard situation, Naeem Hines is going to be involved annoyingly enough to cap a ceiling on him. There is going to be a ceiling to his upside, I believe, because of Frank Reich, the way he rotates these guys. And that's why I'm not putting him. He's not going to be in my top five. I can tell you that right now when my official rankings come out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, I do think he's the first-round talent, but I think it's definitely debatable him going in the first half of the draft. You know, you talked about kind of what he brings to the table, and he is a good pass catcher out of the backfield, but he's been kind of pigeonholed since he's been in Indianapolis. They do use Naheem Hines. They do rotate other guys in there occasionally. Um, I think the big thing that you're also going to see is more of a passing attack. You know, people think that Frank Reich's always a run-first guy. as mostly last year because Philip Rivers basically couldn't push the ball down the field anymore. Well, in the year before because of Jacoby Brissett, too. Exactly. Um, before that, you know, he was 65-40 or 60-40% throwing the ball when he had Andrew Luck. He likes to throw the ball if he can. He likes to push the ball down the field if he can. So I don't necessarily think this is going to be a run-centric team as it was as it has been the last two years. And therefore, Jonathan Taylor is definitely have value, definitely a first-rounder. But I can't, you know, I can't take him in the top five. I think people are getting a little too excited, a little too much hype. You see this happen a lot of times with second-year running backs where once you have a rookie, good rookie year, you get kind of tend to get overhyped the second year because people expect you to do even better or get even more you know, production. It's not a guarantee. He will, he'll probably play more games than he did last year. He'll probably be more involved in the beginning of the season than he was last year. But this guy was also pretty productive, so I don't think the numbers are necessarily going to jump off, thing, jump off as much as people kind of expect him to to make him a top-five pick. No, I, I'm with you. Going back to that 2018 season when Frank Lake, uh, right had Andrew Luck and you know Carson Wentz is going to be the closest thing to Andrew Luck they've had since then, they threw the ball almost 650 times that season. So you want to talk about... Now, yes, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor that year. I understand that. But when he has a quarterback that he feels very confident in, he is definitely willing to throw the ball a ton. And I don't expect that. I expect the Colts to throw the ball more than they did last season when they had Phillip Rivers, especially down the field, especially being more aggressive and less checkdowns. Uh, look, even last year, I don't expect Naeem Hines. He's not going to get rotated into the fact where it becomes a, it becomes a, a committee by the numbers. But last year, it was a 60-30 split when it came to rece- receptions, 60-25 split when it came to the carries between those two. My point is this, between Hines and Mack, they will be involved enough to be annoying to cap that ceiling of a Jonathan Taylor. I don't expect him to finish top five. I don't expect him to finish in the top six like he did last year. Remember, last year, that had a lot to do with the fact you had Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley going down, Ezekiel Elliott disappointing. Like There was a lot of factors on the top-end running back class that kind of allowed Taylor to move up 
higher than what he probably should have been. On a per-game basis, a half-point PPR, I have him at almost 12 points a game, 11.8 to be exact. That puts him in the territory of a low-end RB1, which is where he should be getting drafted. Don't draft this guy as a top-five guy. Just don't just do not do it. If you're back in the first round, Jonathan Taylor's there, perfectly fine. You're in the top five. You have guys with much higher upside than Jonathan Taylor who don't have to worry about this split, who don't have to worry about a team who's going to throw the ball drastically more than they did from a season ago at that position. So that that was that would be my big cautionary tale with Jonathan Taylor. Still an RB1, still first-round pick for me, just not a top five guy is my only argument to make. Yeah, I 100% agree. The only thing I guess that he has going for me, he played Jacksonville and Houston twice. Right. And that, and that does <laughs> tend to help quite a bit. Uh, we talk about the wide receivers, too. Someone's going to emerge. I don't know if it's going to be Michael Pittman. I don't know if T.Y. Hilton's going to be able to go out to bang because he has, you know, as he's put, he finally is very excited because he has a quarterback who actually throwing the ball down the field. One of these receivers is going to be, I think, at least a wide receiver three with wide receiver two type of potential with Carson Wentz, Frank Reich, how I expect this to go. Which one it's going to be, I think, is very much of a question mark. I think a lot of it, too, comes down to we got to see what you have at Parrish Campbell. Can he stay healthy for any amount of length of time? And what is his actual effect if he's out there on the field on a consistent basis with these other three guys? Right now, I was looking at their ADPs. T.Y. Hilton, his ADP is wide receiver 45. Michael Pittman, his ADP is wide receiver 47. You're talking about guys you're drafting as wide receiver fours, wide receiver fives. I'm going to take my shot on a T.Y. Hilton. You're talking about guys you are going to be late on the draft. So we're talking sleeper territory anyway. I'm going to take my shot on a T.Y. Hilton. I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up being Michael Pittman as far as targets go. But I'm going to take my shot on T.Y. Hilton because Carson Wentz, like to throw the ball deep because I think Frank Greg will be excited because he can throw the ball deep because T.Y. Hilton, I think, is excited. He's a quarterback who can throw the ball deep. I think the bigger plays are going to be there. So the weeks where you can play a wide receiver four in that flex position and try to hit a home run, that guy to me is going to be more of a T.Y. Hilton than it will be a Michael Pittman or a Paris Campbell in this offense. So I'm going to take my shot on that guy who I can plug and play in different situations to try to hit a home run off of. So if I'm going to be drafting one Colts wide receiver as a sleeper. It's going to be T.Y. Hilton for me for 2021. Yeah, I definitely understand that logic. I mean, we saw success with Deshaun Jackson playing with Carson Wentz and his, you know, his willingness to push the ball down the field with him and go deep to him. Um, I think Paris Campbell is the, the huge wild card in a situation in a lot of ways because we're not really sure how he's going to be utilized in this offense, what kind of his role will be. Um, I think if you do have Hilton you know, running, running the predominantly deep routes, I think he has an upside enough of the big play opportunity. But for me, Michael Pittman's the guy that I'll be targeting if I was drafting a Colts receiver. I like his upside. I think the guy has the ability to catch the ball, get some yards after the catch. Um, and I think that one thing I like him is also more so is in the red zone. I think that, you know, Carson wants to show him his ability, his, his willingness to throw guys in tight coverage or throw it up for jump balls. You saw Sean Jeffrey Chile gets, you know, basically hurt. Philadelphia had been somebody that he typically looked for. He saw the tight ends be involved and, you know, always kind of, kind of jump ball opportunities. So Carson Wentz likes to go to his big receivers when he has them. I think that Michael Pittman's the guy who definitely benefits the most in the red zone. And I think overall, Pittman's the guy I'd probably target, but I understand T.Y. Hilton's upside. Yeah, just, just to kind of go off this, Carson Wentz last year on the Philadelphia Eagles, when he has nobody to really throw the ball to, he's 10th in deep attempts. So if you transfer that over here where he actually does have guys to throw the ball deep to, that's just where I'm looking. I'm looking at the home run situation. Again, wouldn't be surprised if Michael Pittman winds up being the more targeted receiver 
but I think you're going to have more of a chance to play T.Y. Hilton in a certain role than I do, I think, for Michael Pittman. Because ultimately, they're going to spread this ball out. I mean, it's what Frank Reich does. There, there's not going to be one guy who's super featured over the other ones. They're going to spread out between T.Y. and Pittman, Campbell when he's healthy, and the tight ends, who I want to mention, too. If Molly Cox or Jack Daniel, if, if Doyle, if one of these guys emerges as the guy for any length of time, this is going to be a streaming tight end situation. We know Wentz can get the ball to the tight ends, especially. I would like to see Mo Ali Cox finally just be the guy when it comes to getting the targets and receptions and utilize that guy. But I don't know that's going to happen because Jack Doyle is still a much better pass blocker. And Frank Reich seems hesitant to allow that to, ha- to happen. Ultimately, you're not going to draft either one of these guys because, again, kind of similar situation we talked about earlier in the show. They both cut into each other too much to really have any fantasy confidence in either one of them. But if somebody gets hurt or if one emerges, this could be very much a sleeper tight end situation uh, to to really target there because of Wentz and his history with the tight end position. Yeah, and I also think that they drafted a tight end this year or added undrafted free agent tight end. Uh, Kyle Granson, yeah, they did. They yeah, drafted Kyle um, I think Kyle Granson has some upside too. So you're right. This isn't the tight end position I'm going to target necessarily draft wise, but in, in streamer wise, I'm going to try to see who's the guy's a starter. If somebody gets banged up, I don't have a guy kind of becomes the obvious target. We saw Mola Cox has some big games last year when he actually got a chance to be utilized. But to your point, it seems like Frank Wright refuses to pick one guy and just kind of rotates those guys and, and doesn't really have a, uh, a favorite necessarily. Um, I think that, yeah, Trey Perkins, I think, still on the team as well. So you still have some interesting um, weapons or tight end position, but you kind of want to hopefully have addition by subtraction in the cool situation where none of these guys you can necessarily target the draft, but as the season progresses, you want to kind of see, is there a guy, the guy? Because to your point, Carson Wentz loves throws to a tight end if he can. Yeah, it's just it's just really interesting. The Colts are one, and it seems like this this way for them almost every year since they, you know, they haven't had Andrew Luck. They're a good team with good players, and yet there's really only one guy that you really want from a fantasy standpoint. Everything else is going to pretty much be up in the air in sleeper territory, and it's all going to depend upon how good is Carson Wentz and his reunion with Frank Reich, ultimately speaking. But a lot of it is something we're going to have to figure out during the season. You don't have to draft high on any of these guys. They're all sleeper territory, essentially, or may not even have to draft them and kind of wait to see how things play out when it comes to this team in particular with anybody not named Jonathan Taylor. So I want to move on to the Seattle Seahawks. There's a lot more to kind of get into, a lot more top-end type of fantasy talent with this team. Here's the big thing that we got to talk about with the Seahawks. is the offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. Again, I think we talked about this before, but Pete Carroll, you know, towards the end of the season last year, talking about he wants to run the ball more, he wants to run the ball more. It was a huge mistake because Seattle went from outscoring everybody to outscoring no one. And that's why they had their big one of their bigger collapses towards the second half of the season. But he talks about wanting to run the ball more. But then they go and hire Shane Waldron, who is the passing game offensive coordinator for the Rams. So what leads me to believe they're not going to run the ball more? Why would you run the ball more if you hired a passing game offensive coordinator from a Rams who has a very specific style of passing attack that I think does fit Seattle very, very well, by the way? I don't see that happening. I think Seattle is actually going to throw the ball at either the same clip or more. And instead of going Jekyll and Hyde on us like they did last year will be more consistent from beginning to end of the season when it comes to the passing volume. That's what I think is actually going to happen, which basically I'm saying to you once again, ignore everything Pete Carroll ever tries to say to you, whatever comes out of his mouth. Yeah, I mean, I think Pete Carroll has been a historically rah-rah guy and says kind of things 
But I think last year, I want to defend him in one sense. A big part of why I think he's emphasizing trying to run the ball was more so because a lot of teams just basically play cover three shell deep and we're taking away the deep threats, taking away DK, taking away pockets. And that's where Seattle's offense was just basically struggling because they had, there was no threat at the running game and bring up those safeties and make guys you know, be on, play honest. So I think that this bringing in the Rams coordinator is going to help a lot of ways because you saw them kind of attack the different levels historically in the Rams, for the Rams. You know, they have a guy kind of goes up deep. You have a guy kind of crosses the middle of a short guy, usually dragon. So I think Russ is going to have a little bit more variety of his options, what he can do. I think if they were to continue to be basically a deep shot team like they were last year, you do have to run the ball because you can't just basically throw up bombs over and over again. Teams are going to react and they're going to take away guys. They're going to double players. So this year, I think it's going to be a little bit different where you're going to probably see a lot more motion. You're going to see a lot more guys kind of be moved around. So I think there is a lot of opportunity for the offense to be more consistent in general. I don't know if the ratios will change a whole lot, but I do think it'll be more effective passing game where it'll be more short chunks. You won't see Russ necessarily pushing the ball down the field over and over and over again. I think you might see more volume as a result of that than necessarily a whole big change in yardage. So that's where it's going to be more interesting to probably more PPR upside than they have had historically in Seattle for a while because there'd be probably more guys involved in the past game, more short passes, more options for Russ to kind of check down and look for. Um, I think it's good. I think it's a good match. Russ is a good athlete. He can move. I think it's a smart move out of the pocket. And like running Eve Jackson was definitely going to help the offensive line improve a lot of the ways. So overall, I do think that, you know, you have a lot of options in the passing game and it's going to be great. I also think Carson, you know, Chris Carson is going to be those great day to write him back. You know, he gets hurt a lot, but I think it's offense. He's going to fit very well. Well, it's consistency, consistency, consistency. That's all it really matters when it comes down to this offense, because if you have consistency throughout the year, you have elite players in Russell Wilson for fantasy, for DK Metcalf, for Tyler Lockett, and for Chris Carson. These are all top-notch upside, sky's the limit, type of fantasy football players if this offense simply just stays consistent from one end of the season to the other. And just to continue to illustrate that point, I mean, Russell Wilson was QB3 weeks 1 through 9. He was QB12, 10 through 17. It's like, well, he still was a QB1, but he lost a lot of people in the playoffs because of that big dip. And what that also did to a DK Metcalf, and the biggest inconsistent player of them all last season was Tyler Lockett. For a guy who had 100 receptions, for a guy who finished at wide receiver nine, I've never seen a guy be more in or not invaluable is the wrong word, uh, not valuable on a consistent basis and yet still finish that high than a Tyler Lockett. It was insane. He's Now, he's never been a model of consistency for a week-to-week basis anyway, but last year it was on a whole other level. As a result of that, Tyler Lockett right now is being drafted as a wide receiver 21. He's better than wide receiver 21 with what you could expect him to get and what this offense should do. So you're going to be able to get Tyler Lockett at a discount because everybody is so burnt by the inconsistency of last year. And I'm telling you, with Shane Waldron as the offensive coordinator, I think you are going to see a more consistent offense from one end of the season to the other a more cons- and more consistent everybody as a result of that. So I'm very excited by Seattle this year. I have Russell Wilson projected on a 17-game season for 587 pass attempts, that will be a career high. I do believe that's going to happen there for a Russell Wilson, and the targets still get constricted to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I know you drafted Dwayne Eskridge, but he still has some holes in his game, his raw ability, and this is just not a team that uses a third receiver very often. David Moore had 35 receptions last year. Uh, it's, it goes. It, this offense is funneled towards 
DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett when it comes to the pass game, I really don't expect it to change in a significant way in 2021. So you're looking at these two guys really getting fed hard all throughout the year. Nothing really to change that from last season. And the other great thing about Russell Wilson is that he always has an insane touchdown ratio. I mean, even when this guy's not throwing a ton of passes, even when he was closer to 500 pass attempts, he always gets plus 30 touchdowns every single season. I have him projected for 38 touchdowns this year. He's getting, he's getting, he's going as QB six ADP. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people need to see, can you stay consistent? Or are you going to hurt me again in the playoff stretch? But really, when you really break down his numbers, what you expect the projection wise, I'm probably going to have him in my top four area, maybe even higher when you break down what his expectations should be within this offense with those weapons continuing on with one another. Yeah, I mean, I think Russ is definitely being undervalued in a lot of ways, and I think that he's a guy that you can quite easily finish in the top five. Um, I, he reminds me a lot of that Dak Prescott last year in Dallas before Dak got hurt, how he was basically at most unstoppable offensively, especially throwing the ball. Um, I think that you're going to see this team be more consistent than we talked about, but I also think this defense hasn't really significantly improved. In fact, they lost Griffin on the other corner, so Very the defense actually – isn't going to be, you know, isn't isn't your traditional Seattle defense. And as a result, you're going to need to score points. So I think Russ has got an opportunity to continue to be aggressive and try to put up big numbers. Yeah, a very key point there as well. That defense did not improve. In fact, if anything, you could argue got a little bit worse because they didn't even bring back to Javion Clowney. So yeah, that the the opportunities there, the Seattle having to outscore people to win games is very much going to be the scenario there. We move on to Chris Carson. You mentioned, you know, a lot of people bash on Chris Carson because of the injury history. His injury history is really not that bad. I know he missed four games last year, but really since the season where he broke his leg, he actually only has an eight to one injury rate ratio, meaning I only have him missing two games in a 17 game season. That's really not bad. When you look at the running back position, that is the expectation for Chris Carson. He doesn't get hurt as often as people think he doesn't miss as many games as, as much as people think at all. So I think he is a pretty safe guy. And this guy right now, he's going as RB20, a 36 overall. So you're getting, you're getting an RB2, a low-end RB2 is what he's being drafted at, in the third round, essentially. He has RB1 potential. 100%, he has RB1 potential. They made a financial, and this is something that hasn't been in Chris Carson's corner before, they made a financial commitment to him. They know they're done with Rashad Penny. Travis Homer, who care the, the list of running backs they have backing him up are a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of mediocrity. Doesn't matter who it is. Alex Collins, Travis Homer, Rashad Penny. This is Chris Carson's team. He is he's not in a committee. This is the guy carrying the ball. This is the guy catching the ball. Yeah, is there probably going to be a couple of games this season that he misses? Sure. Is he going to be a little bit banged up? Sure. But he's going to get a good amount of volume on a high-scoring offense, and an offense that just made a commitment to him financially, you're going to draft him as low in RB2. I'm telling you right now, he's got top 10 potential this season. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think Chris Carson's criminally underrated in a lot of ways. Now, a big part of it is because of Knox and injury. He gets banged up. He doesn't only miss games, but he just get banged up. I think that's some of the concern for people. But we saw last year and the year before him be much more involved in the passing game. And that's where you have Chris Carson has such potential and such a nice floor now. 
because if he's involved in the passing game, even if they're you know running the throwing more often than they have been traditionally, or they're not getting back to Pete Carroll's run first offense, it doesn't matter because he's still involved consistently. And his ability to, is going to be improved at running the ball as well because you added Gabe Jackson. You know, I think that adding the improving the offensive line is not going to always benefit Ross. It's going to benefit Chris Carson. And look overall with DK, with Lockett, even Eskridge, you have a lot of speed there. But guys, teams can't just like you know key on this guy. Put him in a system where I think he's going to be more have more big play opportunities versus being between the tackles of running back. He's been asked to be the last couple of years. I think you have a lot of upside for Chris Carson overall, and definitely a guy that I think is a steal right now where he's going. Yeah. So I love Chris Carson. And of course, you have to love DK Metcalf. Right now, DK Metcalf is being drafted as the wide receiver five overall. We talked about the consistency. He actually wasn't that inconsistent. I know a lot of people have the reasons he biased. They remember him not showing up in a key playoff game for them at the end of the season, which killed him. I get it. But really overall for the season, he finishes wide receiver seven. He was wide receiver 13 in consistency. It's really not bad. It's really not far off, especially not compared to Tyler Lockett. He was wide receiver nine, but his consistency was wide receiver 41. That was a, a whole different scenario. The difference for DK Metcalf this year, not just with the offensive coordinator change, but I actually expect him to overtake Tyler Lockett as the more targeted wide receiver of the group. I still think it'll be close between those two, but I actually have him taking the lead over Tyler Lockett this season. If you give him that extra volume, I very much have him in my top five wide receivers this year. I actually have him 98 receptions, over 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns for DK Metcalf, who becomes number one target on this offense this season. Yeah, I mean, I think DK Metcalf is just a beast. And I, you know, still better how how far far he fell in the NFL draft. Um, But this guy is basically unstoppable one-on-one. You have to basically double, especially deep. Um, And to your point, I think he's going to be more productive and more efficient this year because I do think he'll be more involved in the passing game. I also think they're going to move him around a lot more. That's my problem number one excitement with the coordinator change is I think you're going to see a lot more motion. You're going to see guys play different slot positions in and out where you kind of saw that in the Rams where they kind of woods, they had cup, Brandon Cooks back in the day. They kind of move guys around. There wasn't somebody just you stationary here and you stay here. So I think DK has been a benefit from having being moved around a lot, using in the crack black, you know, fake crack black box, doing stretch sweep actions. So you're going to see different ways for him to kind of move around and be involved to get open. And I think that's going to benefit him. And I think he does take over the, you know, as the lead receiver in Seattle. I think that kind of already happened in a lot of ways last year, but I think you especially see that happen this year. And to your point, I think the volume will be there as well, where he wasn't inconsistent, but he was more, more dependent on big play. This year, I think you're just going to see the volume is going to be there week in, week out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. This is a superstar in the making. And although you could say he had his breakout year last year, I think there's actually another level that we're going to get to see DK Metcalf go to this season, especially in this scheme. And speaking of this, I just want to re-harp again real quickly on Tyler Lockett and his value. He's going to be playing the Cooper Cup role, guys. That gets consistently targeted in this offense. So I expect him to be much more consistent along with his big play capability. Again, projected him not too shabby from DK Metcalf, 131 targets, 89 receptions, 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns. His ADP overall is 55. Again, his ADP for wide receivers, wide receiver 21. He can finish again as a top 10 wide receiver this season. Very easy for him to do so in this situation. An offense that is just geared towards targeting two receivers primarily and pretty much nobody else, including tight ends or really any running back winds up being the third most targeted uh, pass catcher in this offense. Essentially, he is in a prime position to really outperform his ADP 
Do not get gun shy with a Tyler Lockett because of the inconsistencies of last year. This is not going to be the same team. It's not going to be the same offense. I trust Shane Waldron a hell of a lot more than Brian Schottenheimer. So Tyler Lockett, for me, is the big value of this team along with Chris Carson. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that overall, the Seattle team is going to show a lot of improvement. I think we're both hoping to have a tight end position, and I do think it's an upgrade, too. I think that, you know, you saw the tight ends kind of being involved in Seattle for the last couple of years. I think Everett already knowing the system being utilized last year. You kind of saw him have the kind of his breakout season in a sense for the Rams when Higby got hurt. So I think Everett is going to be a nice upgrade for them at the tight end position, too. Yeah, he is from a football standpoint. Now, from a fantasy standpoint, I think it's a little tricky because Will Disley or whoever the other tight end winds up being, if Will Disley gets hurt, you know, for the third time in a row, is going to be a better blocker than a Gerald Everett. So he's always going to have to share playing time with another tight end, unfortunately. We'll see exactly where he is. I wouldn't be surprised if Gerald Everett is somebody who becomes a streaming option at the tight end position throughout the season at some point, if he can emerge as that primary pass-catching guy for them. Uh, but again, not somebody you have to draft, not somebody you should draft. Guys with much more upside, much higher floors, I believe, but somebody that will have on my radar, on my watch list in your redraft leagues after your draft has concluded if you're going to be looking to streaming at the tight end position. I want to move on, though. We got the mailbag segment for you guys. The mail's here. All right. So we got the mailbag. Again, if you guys ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do, contact us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow. Ask us your question. Even if we don't pick you to be on the show, we will answer your question and help you guys out all throughout the year, no matter what format of fantasy football you are playing, because this is what we live for when it comes to the mailbag. First up, we got Blake. He wants to ask us, should he keep Deontay, this is a keeper league, keep Deontay in the ninth round or keep Jerry Judy in the 14th round in a half-point PPR league? It's a tough choice, but I have to go with keeping Deontay Johnson. I think Deontay Johnson is the star in the making, and I, I love his fit in Pittsburgh. I think he's the number one receiver on the team. I think Juju kind of had his day, so I go with Deontay Johnson. Although I think Judy has an upside, I go with Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I mean, look, Judy in the 14th round is a very good value, but Deontay Johnson in the ninth round is excellent value, too. And the difference for me is we don't know exactly who the number one target receiver is going to be between Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy because we didn't really get to see them be all in the field. And they have a new quarterback situation and when necessarily might not be a high-volume passing attack. We know the Steelers will be a high-volume passing attack. We know what Ben Roethlisberger will do. We know Deontay Johnson is the number one targeted guy. We saw all throughout the last season. I expect that to continue for him in the ninth round. Next question. Brian, second round. Do you take your RB2 in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or your wide receiver one in Calvin Ridley in that second round? For me, I'd rather look at the running back because I think that's where you want to kind of target your number, number two running back. You can kind of have the advantage. I think there's a lot of depth of receiver this year. Um, and I think that when you get to the third, fourth round, you see some guys that will be still on the board that will have close value. Maybe not as good as Calvin Ridley does, but I think Calvin Ridley's kind of a little rich in my blood right now for how high he's gone. Yeah, I disagree. I'm, I got Calvin Ridley. I'm taking Calvin Ridley in that second round. Calvin Ridley's going to be in my top five wide receivers this season with no Julio Jones. This guy has elite level fantasy value staring him in the face now with the added opportunity there may be arguments what Kyle Pitts is going to be, but I know what Russell Gage is. 
I know what the Falcons team in general is going to be as far as defensively goes. This is still going to be a team that's going to have to win in shootouts, even if they are more efficient offensively. I love Calvary this season. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think you can draft a, G, uh, a J.K. Dobbins. You could draft a Chris Carson later in that second round or possibly third round with Chris Carson and get similar value to a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if not potentially better. I think Calvin Ridley in the second round has as much potential as any wide receiver this year, period. And I would definitely take Calvin Ridley in the second round because of that. So we're different on that one. Frank, Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry in PPR? I mean, this narrative that Alvin Kamara is going to fall off the face of the earth because Drew Brees is no longer there is just stupid to me. I'm going Alvin Kamara, especially in the PPR league all day, every day. No matter if it's Winston or Taysom Hill, they're going to still go throw the ball to the running back. They still only have Michael Thomas, the other receiver position. There's no reason Alvin Kamara won't be utilized. You have questions in Tennessee, actually, how much will Derrick Henry be utilized? He never utilized in the passing game. We know that. But will he consistently be involved as much in the running game just because you added Julio Jones now? You have A.J. Brown there. Will they become more of a pass-oriented team than they have been in the past? Um, so I think that, for me, it's easy. I'm definitely going with the guy who's been in those production. Yeah, for me, it's easy as well. Jameis Winston will be the starting quarterback. He will throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. Again, to your point, even Taysom Hill, he's going to throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. I know we had this span where Alvin Kamara suddenly wasn't as valuable as Taysom Hill. That'll, of course, correct itself. And even that wants to be the case. We saw Kamara take over more of the carries over Latavius Murray. Listen, ultimately, because this is PPR, this is a no-brainer for me. It's going to be Alvin Kamara. Sean Payton's still going to throw him, is going to target him and scheme him to get thrown the ball a ton. Derrick Henry has to continue to be a god running the football in order to have top five value in PPR leagues. You've seen the past couple of seasons. He still doesn't finish in the top two, even with how great he's been running the football because he doesn't catch the ball, especially when it comes to PPR. It is his hands down. You go with Alvin Kamara. He doesn't have to be as great as a Derrick Henry to outscore him in fantasy football purposes. So, yes, this whole notion that Alvin Kamara might fall off because there's no more Drew Brees, or it's absolutely ridiculous. He's still going to be the second targeted pass catcher on that team, and he's still a great running back on top of it. You go Alvin Kamara over Derrick Henry PPR. I think the only format that I would even consider Derrick Henry over Kamara would be standard leagues, and even then, i still rather go with the floor of an Alvin Kamara being involved in both aspects of the offense. So yeah, to me, it's hands down, Alvin Kamara, no worries there. Last question, Ethan asks, this is a good one, Antonio Gibson or Cam Akers? We'll assume a half-point PPR league. Go. I mean, to me, it's, we, I talked about this recently on one of the shows. Antonio Gibson, to me, is definitely better than Cam Akers. He's more productive last year. He's more involved in the passing game, I think, moving forward this year. Cam Akers still has some question marks for me where he only had two touchdowns last year. He had some a big game versus New England, but the, and he had a nice playoff run. But we didn't see the consistent usage that I kind of need to see. And the offensive lines, I think, are also different. And the Rams' offensive line hasn't improved at all. So I think that, for me, I'm going with the guy who I think is a true bell cow. Cam Akers, still, to me, has some questions to be answered. Do you... I agree with the volume. I don't, you know, J.D. McKissick's not going to be nearly as involved. I, I agree with that. I think it's a more of a sure thing with Antonio Gibson as far as him being involved in every aspect of the game. Cam Akers does have Daryl Henderson, who is going to be involved in some aspect of that. We didn't see Cam Akers be very involved in the past game last year, even when Henderson was hurt, frankly. I do believe Akers will be the guy for the Rams. So the only thing I would I would say just to play devil's advocate, because I agree with you, I probably would lean towards Antonio Gibson here. Would it be I have more expectations of the Rams offense 
to be higher scoring, to be more consistent in general than Washington. I think you're going to get those Ryan Fitzpatrick games where he throws four interceptions and everybody's a complete dud as a result of that. And what happens if he gets benched? So there are some questions in my mind when it comes to Washington's offense, but with Cam Akers and the Rams, less questions there and I expect them to be more high scoring. It's the only thing that I think makes makes these two really close because of that. But ultimately, I'm going to lean towards volume and that's going to be Antonio Gibson here for me as well. Yeah, that I, mean, I think they're off the line as well. To me, that's the key also. Aaron, Adam Flowers and having Sheriff back in Washington, they have a strong interior line, so then you're going to be able to run the ball. And we will see him be more involved in the passing game. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick actually took the ball down to his running back. So for me, it's Gibson. I like it. I like it. I like it. That's going to close down the show for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We're happy to be back. We'll be back next week, whether it'll be Thursday and Friday or just Friday. We'll let you guys know. Make sure you're following us on social media at Billy of MDFF show to be kept up to date as far as that goes. And for the player news notifications, because we're getting closer and closer to training camp, we're going to have some more player news coming out. So make sure you follow on social media for that, because that's free updates for you guys. Make sure you're subscribing on your favorite streaming app, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever. Make sure you're watching us on any social media account at WWSRN. I'm Dan Mater with Chris Dahauer. We're going to see you guys again next week, continuing on with the Team Profile Series. So everybody have a great weekend, and we'll see you then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 